Welcome into the Storied Podcast. This week we pick up where we left off. We shared our fall success of the whitetail that I've taken, and now we're going to go into the bull elk that Ruben arrowed in the Montana backcountry. Stay tuned. Well, welcome back, everybody, to part two of our fall success uh, duo episodes here. The first part was Ryan there with his uh, whitetail buck in Minnesota, and the second part's going to be with this bull that I shot here in Montana. This is the first time I'm doing the intro to the show Ryan <laughs> normally does, um, so it feels a little bit weird, but uh, I kind of like it. We'll see. We should have a vote on who uh, who they like better, but you've had a lot more practice because you've done them all, so I think that's... Uh, I think they'll go for you if we did put it to a vote. But anyways, we're going we're gonna talk about the bull I shot. But before that, we normally delve into what we've been eating lately. And uh, we talked about that in part one. We're doing this on the same night. We're, we're releasing them a couple days apart. But So we just talked about our meals. We could do a little bit of a food thing still, though. I'm going to do just rapid fire, c- catch Ryan off guard here. Um, I'm fine with that. Uh, number one. We're going to do uh, first thing that pops in your head to eat. Whitetail mule deer. Whitetail. Okay. How about you? Whitetail mule deer. Oh, right now it's mule deer just because I haven't shot one in two years. Yep. And <laughs> I've shot a lot of whitetails and I've eaten a lot of whitetail. And I just, uh, maybe it's the same thing with bear, even though I, I do love bear. I think it's a great meat, but it's like a How new meat this? to me, you know? Okay. Now favorite white, t- favorite game animal to eat. Your turn shoot uh pick one quick i'm gonna go back on what i just said and say whitetail all right which is funny because like right now i'd rather eat mule deer but (laughs) yeah mine is antelope pronghorn antelope that is your favorite that's my aunt's yeah yeah that's my aunt's favorite and my mom's favorite since i brought it back to them i think that it's yeah, I didn't really think too hard about that one, but I still think I like whitetail better just because I think it's more versatile. I think you can do more with whitetail or pronghorn. <laughs> better cook that medium rare. I mean, the ground you can obviously use for tacos and all that kind of stuff, but like yeah. uh, it, it doesn't, um, it dries out easy. It, it, there's no fat at all to it. Yeah. So, but yeah. for what it is, when you, when you cook it for a rare meat. little piece of meat, that is some really good stuff. I think what um, makes it so good too is like no one appreciates it. And then it's like, and it's a little animal that you don't get a lot of. That's why like wild turkey is probably my number two. It's like, I don't get a lot of it now that I can shoot multiple turkeys in Wisconsin. I do, but yeah, yeah, that's one of them. Man, I, I had another one I was going to rapid fire you with here. Um, all right, here, right one more, one more. If you had to, if you had to do this for the rest of your life, would you go? Oh. Would you go steak or slow cooker? Slow cooker. Really? No. Fuck. Uh, (laughs) Meat and heat. Meat and heat. That's my answer. Steak. Ooh, I think I'm going steak too. Just, uh, it's so hard though, because, um, like right now, this time of year, good one. That's a good one. Right now, this time of year, I absolutely love a slow cooker roast. It's like that stick to your bone, keeps you warm when it's cold out, that kind of stuff. But like, Mm -hmm. if you wanted just something that tastes really good and it feels like clean in your stomach and gives you so much energy, yeah, having steak, it's just like so good. One more. 
All right. One more. If you had, oh, I guess that's your favorite. And I was going to say, but right here, if you had only one game animal to eat for the rest of your life, versatile game animal, whatever you want, you could only eat one game animal the rest of your life, what would it be? Dude, I think it would be whitetail, and people yeah, are gonna, gonna people are gonna flip out because you know everybody talks about elk and elk. I was elk is so good, but I I don't know if it's just my midwestern roots or if it's just the <laughs> fact that I've killed so many whitetails and it's like, yeah, elk elk is amazing because it tastes amazing. It is leaner though than whitetail. Like, I feel like there's something mm. about it. I don't know what it's like less dense almost when I eat a whitetail steak, I feel like that absorbs the spices or seasoning I'm putting on it. And it's got some moisture to it. Like I think you can, I think you can dry out an elk steak better faster than you can dry out a whitetail steak. And, uh, really? I, think it, I would think so. Like obviously uh, okay. like the, the thick, not you got like, more experience, not the, you know, Obviously, elk steaks are yeah. generally thicker, but like if you had the same thickness of meat and you threw it on a cast iron, I think that that, that elk steak would probably f- taste drier if you cooked it well done than a, a whitetail steak, Dang. in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know. People are probably going to eat me alive for that. but uh, I don't, Okay, one more rapid fire. One game animal to hunt the rest of your life. Rapid fire? Oh, my God. If you had to... How about I answer that last one? That last one would be elk for me. So elk? next one. Yeah. Elk for me to if I had one animal to eat the rest of my life. One animal to hunt the rest of my life? One animal to hunt now. Rest of your life. Going into the hunting stories. Dude, dude, people are going to... Oh, it's so tail. hard. All right. I was going to say I was gonna say turkeys. Whoa. There's a wild card. <laughs> turkeys gobble gobble what the heck the problem with turkeys is the yield right if you could if you could have 10 turkey tags in your pocket every spring then yeah bombs away but yeah i mean like i think a huge part of the the huge part of shooting a deer to me i mean all all of it's great but like the a huge part of it is that you're taking home a bunch of meat yeah true um what what's what's the appealing what's the tipping point for the turkey why would why it's just that one thing uh, it's, it's really fun and there's always an possibly another gobbler going off over the next ridge. Even if you mess up the one you're on, whereas the yeah. white tail is really hard to recover if you mess up a buck you're after. And then the elk is even harder to recover if you mess up an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like the white tail cause it's so damn strategic. It's, yeah. it drives you nuts. Yeah. Makes you not sleep at night, but but, that was rapid fire, uh, though. So if I put a little more thought to it, I might change my answers. But rapid fire, yeah, uh, yeah. huh? I like it. Dang. I like that start. All right, I'll have to put this on Instagram here. Yeah, real. So um, before we go into the story, though, let's talk about uh, what we have left in this hunting season. So I killed an elk in September. I've been hunting bears in October. I don't think I'm going to kill a bear this year, just because the weather turned really cold. And I think that that opportunity is probably gone. So for me, I'm going into, uh, I really want to kill a mule deer buck. And I think because I didn't shoot a bear, I might also shoot, try to shoot a white-tailed doe so I can get an elk, a deer, and, or an elk and two deer in the freezer. Um, 
I, I share a lot of my meat with my girlfriend. So I think that that's probably playing it safe to, to get two deer instead of one after the elk. And the elk was not the largest elk in the world. So, uh, I mean, it's still an elk, but it's, it's not like mm-hmm. a massive bull. So the, the amount of meat I got off of it isn't as much as you might get off of a, a mature bull. But, um, yeah, so I'll be uh, deer hunting this whole November. And it'll mostly probably be for a big old whitetail or mule deer buck. But if I don't shoot a mule deer buck in the first couple of weeks of season, I will be sitting that stand that I have in the whitetail rut middle of November here. And I will shoot a whitetail buck if it's a good one. Definitely going to try to shoot a whitetail doe. What are you up to? Yeah, so me, so actually the first year there's this uh, kind of park hunt. I've actually applied for it usually is kind of towards uh, disabled hunters or veterans that actually applied for this year that it was open to the public. And so there's only permit 40 permits and it's a quite a large area of public open and it's shotgun only. So I'm going to try to go after that. That's kind of November area. I haven't checked my cameras really this year, like with that buck I shot, I checked that one camera, but all my other cameras, I probably haven't checked in like a month and a half. And so I'm going to check those and see if I got a buck on, on, uh, on public um, to chase with my uh, shotgun or I'm going to go do that park hunt. We'll see. I've never done such a thing in my life before, but it's going to be interesting. Well, have you ever shotgun hunted deer? Uh, yeah, one time. One time for like two days and then I'm like, yep, I'm out. <laughs> I didn't know much about the public. and Yeah. I was pretty like I, no one was around till all the way till like three three o'clock, and then I saw a hunter. They were pushing this area and tried again, and then they left. Yeah, I don't know, a different story, but hmm. just got a sour taste. And usually I go to Wisconsin, but I don't think I'll have the time to run to Wisconsin and run some public land deer there. So I'll probably just do the shotgun in Minnesota again. When's the last time you shot a honker? I was thinking of that as I could hear him out my window. I could hear him out my window as um, uh, this episode started, and I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm I wish I could Canadian goose hunt. Um, oh shoot! Since I lived in Wisconsin, which would be nine years ago, probably. That's the last time you shot a goose. Oh man! I yeah. mean, I've, I it's been since 2020 for me, but um. That's a good point, man, because we got the river. I could go back home. Got guys here on the river. What am I doing? Yeah. I could be hunting. Because I was just thinking about that today, right? So I got that elk in the freezer. Do that. I, was, I got that elk in the freezer, and I'm hoping to get a deer or two in the freezer, but I was kind of like really hoping for a bear this fall. I mean, mm-hmm. like, because I still had some of that bear left over last year. So in my freezer, I had elk, whitetail, a little bit of mule deer, pronghorn, and bear. And now I'm looking at like, well, shoot, I'm only going to have elk and maybe deer in the freezer. I'm like, to this morning, I was in the tree stand, there was a bunch of geese flying around. And I was like, oh, I, I, even a, even only a few geese. If you shoot like, out here, the limit is five a day. Um, yeah. But even if you shoot like a couple, three geese, that'll give you like half a, a dozen. Two, three geese, you said? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'll give you probably like 10, 12 meals uh, from the breast alone, and then you get the leg meat to slow cook. I'm like, yeah. 
And and I like goose. I think goose is almost like like beef steak. Without the fat. Yeah. Yeah. Goose coming up. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I need to do that. I need to contact Matt. I need to get myself on some waterfall. That is actually a good point. Yeah, and uh, I don't I need have, a bunch I've of them. Missing. I don't need a bunch of them. I just want to have enough where I can throw in a, a curveball meal like every week or two, you know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, but, all right. Well, well, yeah, so hunting, you know, uh, you're shooting elk out there out west, and that's fun and fun. So uh, yeah. tell me your story of uh, the success of that bull you shot this year. So I think I went over in that episode we had six weeks ago. Um, that was mid-season. That was middle of September, uh, mid-rut. And that's when we told the stories of our first elk yours in Utah, mine here in Montana last year. And, um, so the, I forget exactly when that was, but th- there was a big lull. So I, I won't go over the beginning of the season. Cause I think I talked about that in that episode. And then when we recorded that episode, there was a big lull. It got warm, like unseasonably warm out from like the 10th to the 20th about. And I wasn't have I, I started running a lot of hunters because that's normally when people take to the field for that middle two weeks of September. It got warm. There wasn't a lot of bugling going on. There was, you know, a lot of pressure. And then uh, a cold front came through, and um, I got a couple more hunts in where I started to get on elk again, but nothing like too too crazy. It was still kind of like the morning evening bugling things, and honestly, a couple of them were like so close to like you know like where you you start hearing elk right before end of shooting light, and it's like you can't even make a play on them. So then I decided I was gonna go uh, back to this spot that I hunted really hard in 2021. Uh, actually, our friend Klaus, who has been on a previous podcast here. Went with me the first time I ever went back into this area to scout it in 2021 during the summer. So he knows exactly, uh, exactly where this is. And that year in 2021, I had gotten on, I think I had 18 bulls within archery range in about three weeks of hunting it. And, and it's just really thick timber, like no open stuff in there at all. So you can get a lot of animals close and not have shots, you know? But there's there's a ton of bulls to work. Um, so I went in there, and, it, and it's about three miles back in. And, uh, well, it's about two miles to the first drainage that I like to hunt. But then you got to pop up half a mile up about 1,000 feet. So pretty, pretty tough, pretty tough hunting. And before this, I had been hunting in areas that were a lot more um, burns and higher elevation. So, like... A mountain range I, I started out hunting this season is higher elevation, and those higher elevation mountain ranges are tend to be drier and they have a lot more snowpack. So like the undergrowth is not nearly as as much at like seven eight thousand feet as uh and, and it's further east, so it's past this rain shadow of the mountain, so it's a little drier. And then you go back to this other unit, which actually isn't that far away, but it's kind of like a rainforest compared to that. And you kind of forget that when you don't hunt it for a while. You go back in there and you're you know, you're walking through nipple high brush a lot of the time. Um, and when it rains in there, it doesn't dry out for a couple of days. So yeah. it had rained a couple of days in a row before I went on a Thursday to go in and start hunting this 
again two years after I had hunted it previous. I didn't hunt it last year because I killed my bull on September 11th and I didn't, I didn't need the elk hunt anymore. So, um, I went in there and in, in 2021, the rut had really the best bugling days. The best rut days in this area were the last couple days of September and the first couple days of October. I mean, I was on bugling bulls throughout the month of September in there, but the days when it was just nonstop throughout the day bugling was the very end of September and the beginning of October. So I'm like, okay, this is good. Like good timing, I think. So I went in there, uh, first morning, hiked my way in about two miles before light with my headlamp on this trail, uh, trails, you know, it's a trail, so it's better than no trail, but you know, the footing isn't the best. There's a lot of like scree slopes and, and some deadfall and things like that. Then I started working my way up to my normal spot where I, in 2021, actually was area about this same time of year. I had three bulls within 60 yards of me for half an hour at one point, which is pretty nuts. Uh, and that ended up blowing out. There was a bull I got within 15 and I just couldn't draw on him before he, he knew I was there. So I, I kind of know this ridge line and I get up and I start working it and I work this bull and I get to this other ridge line where they like to hang out as well. And they kind of bounce back and forth. And I hear a bugle up there and I'm like, okay, here we go. This is good. Cause I'd been bugling earlier and getting no responses. And I really hadn't been seeing too much fresh shine either. There was some sign there, but not a lot of stuff that looked like, Oh, there's elk here right away. And I definitely had not smelled them. And, and like, you know, you smell elk, like an elk's been here, you smell it. And then you smell elk, like there are elk right here. I no. hadn't even gotten, I haven't even gotten the whiff of like, there have been elk here in the last couple of days. You know, I was like, this is kind of weird. Where are they? So I start chasing this bugle and this bugle sounds kind of like a, uh, a train breaking, like a train coming into like a switch yard. Just like, it's a little more high pitch. yeah, yeah. Like high, high pitch. Yeah. And I start chasing it and I'm trying to get around on the thing. And, uh, a couple times the wind was really bad and I was kind of surprised it was still bugling. Yeah. And, and, and so I start, I start getting there and I start getting real close to cut it off. And I start, you know, doing the whole thing where you just shut up and move a lot and then start again, trying to get ahead of them. And yeah. at one point I got like super close. This bugle goes off super close and I'm like, dang, that thing's got to be right here. And so I like started raking trees and stuff. And then, and then it like bugled again, just a little further over past this opening, almost like it was trying to get me to go over there. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. So I like poke my head over and sure enough, there's two dudes over there. And I'm like... Uh okay, this is uh, interesting because I've never seen another hunter and all the time I've hunted up here. And this is like a hard place to get to. The way yeah. I went is pretty difficult. And then the way that they had to have come in is also a pretty far away. It's like from this trail system is not too, too far, but to get up that trail system is like four miles from the trailhead. So I'm like, that is that the kind of the first time you ever been called in by hunters, I guess that played it. You wouldn't have played that if you wouldn't that, knew you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was the first time that I actually was convinced that I was calling to a bull, but it was a hunter. The other times that I've been, quote, called in by hunters, I think I told yeah. the story in the last podcast. The whole time in the back of my head, I had the thought that that doesn't sound like a real bull, but I should probably check it out anyway. No, yeah. this one, this one pretty had me fooled. Um, and, and it wasn't necessarily because of the way the bugle sounded like it was a really good bugle, but it was more so the fact that I knew I was in an area where like only 
crazy people come back here. So I was like, there's no way there's a hunter out here on a Thursday morning. Like, you know, you end up talking to him. Huh? You end up talking to him or anything? Yeah. So, so when we saw when they thought I was a bull too. Right. So, um, Uh so we met up and they're actually, uh, I think they were Hmong actually. Uh, They were pretty sure they were Hmong. And uh, it was a father-son pair. Uh, the son's probably about our age, and the dad's probably in his fifties or so. You know. Um, yeah. And uh, they're super nice, and and they said they'd hunt, they've hunted that area for a long, long time, and um, they've never seen wow. another hunter in that spot either. Wow, <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> and and it was cool because we started trading stories a little bit. There's an this isn't a designated wilderness study area. And, uh, there's, there's an area where people take ATVs illegally into here quite a bit. Actually, Mm um, one of my other friends who kind of told me about this spot, he said that they stopped hunting it when it started getting too much illegal ATV use. And then I talked to these guys, I didn't even bring it up and they were talking about that too. And he was talking about how he would take pictures of all the license plates of the ATVs and send them into the forest service ranger. And, uh, it's just hard to, um, they got to kind of, I think, catch them in the act because you can take pictures of license plates that are parked anywhere, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. so anyways, but we were talking a whole bunch and we actually talked about the same bull that I think I almost killed a couple times in 2021, a big one that this guy said he's been hunting with. Cause I, I, I mentioned to him, I'm like, does he have huge crowns? Like, is his top end like huge and heavy? He's like, yeah, straight up and like three big points coming yeah. off the top. And I'm like, yeah, I saw that bull too. But anyway, so. Yeah. We parted ways. They went back down this other ridge line, and they they also thought I was crazy from coming for coming up from the bottom because they access from mm-hmm. the top. So they were like, "You came mm-hmm. up that thing? You're nuts!" You know, they're like, "How are you going to get it out?" I'm like, "In a lot of trips, <laughs> but yeah, slow so, and steady." <laughs> yeah. So we we parted ways, and I uh, I went to this other uh, head end of this creek, um, where I had, I had located some bulls in in 2021 and uh it, like I said it had rained 2 days before and to this point I was like a little bit like you know you start to feel like your pants and your socket a little damp but nothing too bad cuz you know you have all this bear grass and all this huckleberry and these other types of willows and stuff you're walking through so I get to this ridge and I call a bugle off of it and I can hear bugle down there and I'm like oh okay there there we go you know I'm pretty sure that's not a person hopefully <laughs> And, but then it kept going after I bugled, it kept going on its own. I'm like, okay, that's good. Um, but it's way down there. I would say it's about 600 feet down and, uh, you know, a pretty steep slope. And this is completely covered in, you know, willows and and other types of vegetation. So I started making my way down there and this is also must've been like on the shady side of the hill. My boots are just full of water by the time I get down there, like, I have waterproof boots, but you know, hiking around your socks start to get it on it and it starts to wick down into your sock. And it, I get so wet by the time I'm at the bottom that it's when you brush up against something, you can feel just running down your leg, you know, just totally soaked. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, God, and, and this bowl is still responding to me. And then it seems like I'm, as I'm getting closer, it seems like he's getting further away. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like to the point where I get down near the Creek bottom and all of a sudden it sounds like he's way the hell away. And I'm like, I must've not read that quite right. I think he's actually up on the Ridge opposite of where I was calling from, not down in the bottom. Cause as I'm getting further down into the bottom, he's sounding like he's further away. I don't think he's taking his cows away from me. I think he's just, because it sounds like he's from the same general area the whole time. 
Uh, I'm like, well, shoot, now I got to go back up like 600 feet on this side. Steep. So I started doing that. A lot of deadfall, really shitty. Um, I get up to the top and there's actually a trail on the top. So then I hop on the trail and start moving over. I can hear him screaming on the hillside and I'm like, okay, this is starting to be better. Like the wind is now coming uphill thermals and everything. Yeah. And I walk and I look up ahead and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. Two elk right in front of me just bust out of there. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Cows or? I couldn't tell. I just oh. knew they were out. I saw some brown and there's, you know, it's not a deer. Yeah. It's an elk crashing through the woods. Yeah. And, um, but then there, whatever these elk were doing, they're far enough off of the main herd that the, the bull's still screaming and everything down there. I try to get into them and they're so thick brush. I can't even like hardly walk through it. It's pretty incredible how these animals get through some of this stuff. Like a 700 pound animal can walk through things that you're like swimming through as far yeah. as like deadfall and thick pine trees and all this kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, he's moving back the way I just came up that hill. I'm going to back off, go down the trail and try to cut him off that way. Did that. They already crossed the trail and then got onto this other side into more thick stuff. I start running them down. And I got close and then I think I just pushed it too hard. Cause he, it was getting to the point where like, we're coming to the crescendo of the calling sequence. Like I've been, you know, bugle, bugle back, bugle, bugle back, chuckle, you know, start doing this stuff. And now it's to the point where he's like screaming his face off at me, but it was kind of a high canopy area with like low brush. And I think that it just got to the point where one, whatever, one of the herd got to see in me. And I had to been within 50 yards or so, but I never saw the elk. And then all of a sudden they just shut up and I heard some running and they're gone. Then there's a satellite bull over here that still was bugling. And I tried to call him in for a while and ended up not working out. So I sat down and ate lunch and I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a bunch of elk in here. And I started looking at my map and there's a huge wet meadow only about half a quarter mile from me like a huge wet meadow out there. Oh, and yeah. I'm, I'm pretty far back in here at this point. I've never hunted this ridgeline just because it is so far from the trailhead. It's three and a half miles to where I'm currently at four about four miles to where that meadow is. And I'm like, yeah. you know, 2,500 feet probably back up in here from the trailhead. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well I'm, it's 11 AM or so. And that's also a good sign. Is they're, they're bugling on their own middle of the day. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll make a long story short on this first day. I, I worked that area that rest of that evening and I was hearing bulls the whole time. And I got close to a couple more, probably like three, three more bulls, like real close where, where, you know, you put your release on kind of close, you know, and, and actually a couple of them were just running willy nilly out in this open meadow area that had a bunch of wallows in it. And I'm like, okay, this place is golden, but now we're at like four thirty-five PM and I'm like, I'm, a three hour hike from the truck, you know? So I started working my way back down the hill. I'm kind of walking my way out, trying to learn this area, like see what the landscape's like. A couple bugles here and there. They're still bugling up on the ridge, but they're too far to go after tonight. And then I, I started walking through an area and I look up on the hill and there's a raghorn raking a tree, like a hundred yards away from me. I'm like, Oh crap, shit. You know, like I'm in the wide open. He's above me. Probably can see pretty well. So I just had to pick a random lodgepole pine in this open bottom to stand next to. And I just cow called at him. And the thing just turns and starts marching right down the hillside straight at me. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how this is going to play out with the wind. There's no cover or anything. So I knocked an arrow and he comes about 30 yards 
But then I think it's so wide open. He comes to third yards, looks around, and there's nothing there, and he just, you know, does What's a little stutter on? step, jumps back up, and then just I start cow calling at him again. Stopped him a few times, but he still knew something was weird. And he walked yeah. off up the hill. So I'm like, okay, time to head out of here. Camp at the truck, you know. Great, great afternoon. After starting out the morning soaking wet, running into hunters, all that kind of stuff, not hearing anything, all of a sudden now I found like there's elk everywhere on this side of the ridge. Uh, yeah. You know, I interacted with at least three bulls, potentially more like in this afternoon. So get up early the next day to hike in, you know, come far back in to this. I wanted to get to this meadow with the wallows like mid morning. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get there like early morning. Go ahead. Were you camp like, were you camp truck camp? Did you hike out that evening camp or were you camp back there? Truck camping. Okay. Which is pretty far. It's pretty far, but, uh, it's, uh, to get to where the Elky area is, it's about two miles on trail. Yeah. And anymore to me, it's just, um, for two reasons. One, I don't like camping in areas to get your scent everywhere and everything in there. But also if it's only two miles in or so on a trail, it's just not worth taking all that extra weight, setting up your whole gear, like and getting a, a less comfortable night of sleep when you could be in your truck with your nice, you know, foam layout thing and everything. I agree. So yeah, I, I, so that day I actually looked the morning you were ready to rip again. Yeah. I actually looked at, according to my health app on my uh, phone, which Maddie just got me to look at because I never looked at it in my life, country steps and everything. According to that, I hiked 11 miles that day. And that's, that's, with probably, I would say they're probably because they don't track elevation on the health app, but I would guess it was yeah. 4,000 feet that day at least. Yeah, and and not trail hiking, bushwhacking no, over, no. Uh, yeah. over a deadfall yeah. and all stuff. Yeah. That's totally different than yeah. hiking on a trail for 11 miles. And this happens too. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it's unfortunate. When you go into a new area, a lot of times those first days, you cover so much ground to try to learn the area. And then you learn it. And then you find these animals way back there. And then you are freaking gassed after that first day. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened to me on the second day. I was pretty gassed. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get these two and a half miles done right away in the dark on the trail. That last mile before that meadow area is still good hunting. And I don't really know my way through it. Cause I've never been through there before. And I, I don't want to do that in the dark. So I got, I got down there at about daybreak to a mile from that meadow area. And I started working my way up through there. Not really much going on at all. And then I got up to the meadow and there was a couple of light bugles here and there. And I kind of got close and they'd shut up. And I was like, okay, this is not nearly as like fired up as it was yesterday. Like hopefully I can get onto something. Also, there was a lot of weather that was supposed to roll in pretty like in the afternoon or so. And, um, it actually started to snow in, in mid morning up there. And I was like, crap, I've been out of service for two days. I don't did the forecast change. Like, am I about to get snowed on for the rest of the weekend? So I'm like almost thinking about like, should I start hunting back to the truck already? Like, is this going to get worse? Um, and I look out in the, in the meadow and there's a, well, I heard a, I heard a bugle in the meadow and I'm like, well, okay, I can get eyes on this thing at least like, cause it get at the edge of the timber and look, and there's a six point out there by himself. 
just feeding and bugling randomly. And I'm like, he's probably like a 286 point or something. He's probably like what I shot last year with an extra point, you know? Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is sweet. Like a lone bull bugling should be able to cow call. And hopefully that thing's just going to come right over. And I called that, that thing quite a few times and ended up actually bugling at him when he wouldn't respond to the cow call and he didn't care. And he just, then he just walked off and I was like, that was kind of weird. Like he bugled, but then he just didn't care about what was going on over here. Not to mention that's a pretty decent six point bull on public land and he has no cows. So what does that mean? There's gotta be a big bull somewhere around here, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, they know this front's coming. Middle of the day yesterday, they were on this open hillside screaming their heads off. So I'm like, I think I should go over there because they, they might be out there to feed before this front's coming. And they're probably out there feeding yesterday, which is why all that ruckus was going on is because there's probably the herd is out there and the herd bull is trying to keep control of that herd while the satellites are trying to get on those cows. I feel like in my experience, when they're bedded, they don't bugle as much because that bull is able to like keep tabs on everything that's going on. Those cows are not moving much. They're bedded. He's just, you know, able to keep control of that herd. But when that herd goes out to feed, now you're out in the open, the cows are moving around all over the place. And he's really trying his darndest to ward off these satellite bulls and can't control the situation. And that's when they start screaming like crazy. So I'm like, I'm going to go back over there. And sure enough, I get out to that edge of that ridge and it's, it's all mayhem going on down below me. There's the herd bull screaming back at the satellite bull. They're just making all kinds of elk noises and the wind's perfect coming up the hill middle of the day. I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm going to just try to slowly sneak in here and cow call until I can really kind of see what's going on. Cause the side of this hillside is like way more open than what I described earlier. Like this is a Southwest they were pretty much south facing slope. And that's why they were there is there's grasses in an open understory. So they're feeding there, but you can see probably 50, 60 yards in a lot of areas, sometimes a hundred yards. And so I'm like, I'm going to just follow some of these little lines of trees slowly down and, and cow call. So I cow called, start walking down the bulls still going freaking nuts down there. I'm not about to bugle cause I don't want to do the whole thing where you bugle. And then he's starting to move his cows off. He's already going off, and this is with turkey hunting or any other thing. Yeah. If something's making noise on its own, for the love of God, don't tell them where you're at. Like, I've killed turkeys that are gobbling before without making a peep because you just sneak in on them. If they're giving off their location without you doing anything, keep keep the situation on your terms where they don't know you're there. And then if you get- predators. Yeah. Other predators do the same thing. Coyotes, you'll see coyotes sweep in and the same thing, you know? Yeah. So if they're making a whole ruckus, yeah, if, if you get into like the, the kill zone and then you got to do a little cow call, you got a challenge or something to make them close that final distance, then that's a good situation. But as far as knowing where he's at, I'm not going to make any noises. And I'm pretty much just cow calling because I want to cover my noise. Like, yeah. you know, boots are loud, ground's loud. If something hears me coming in, I want it to think it's a cow elk, you know? So I start walking on the hill. Then all of a sudden, like, I, I'm not even really in the game at all yet with these two bulls that are going back and forth. And I hear something crashing, walking up the hill towards me. And I'm like, okay, is this a satellite? Like, what's, what, is it a cow? What's going to happen here? And we're on September 29th. Normally, I tell myself October 1st, I will shoot a cow. 
with my bow. Because when it comes to general season in Montana, you cannot shoot a cow with a rifle. But in in uh, archery season, you can shoot either yeah. sex. So I'm like, um, and and also it's like pretty hard to shoot bulls, in my opinion, general season. Like hunting them is way different than hunting rutting elk. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, if this is a cow, I'm going to shoot it too. Like basically, if this is anything but a not legal bull, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. So it's angling up and it's kind of like the, oh, I described there's a, a few patches of trees here. And then there's a little like slight cut in the hillside where there's thicker trees and like deadfall. That's where this, this sound is coming up out of. And I'm like, okay, it's getting really close. I'm like, this is definitely an elk. Like it's making a bunch of, you know, you know, making these noises coming up the hillside. So I range a rock at, okay, 20 yards. Then I range another rock pass at 40 yards. Okay. This it's angling up the hill towards me to where my shot window through these trees would be up the hill. So <clears throat> I look to my left, I see the elk and he's, he's, he's just walking right towards me. And I'm like, shoot, that's that raghorn that I called in last night that spooked. I'm like, great. As long as he's legal, you know, so I'm looking at his brow tines. You need four inch brow tines in Montana. I'm like, you know, you can see his frame. He's got some goofy stuff going on up top. You know, he's a raghorn. So I'm like, I really got to pay attention to those brow tines and make sure that they're at least four inches. So he clears his head past a bush and I look, I'm like, yep, definitely four inch brow tines. He's got these goofy brow tines that come way out. They're like disproportionate to the size of his main frame, you know? Yeah, main. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, okay, that's a legal bull. And I'm like, all right, he's going to come like close. Like he's going to come right in front of that 20 yard rock. So it goes behind this tree and I draw immediately when it goes behind the tree at like 30 yards, it comes straight out, but he's, he's quartering to me pretty, pretty decent, but I'm like, this is a close shot. So I'm going to need to really hug that shoulder line. Yeah. And he comes in and I'm not really going to stop him. I think he's going to just see me. Cause like, I'm kind of in the open once he sees my shooting lane, like, I'm, I'm silhouetted against the back of the hillside, you know? So I'm at full draw. He comes and he does, he kind of like stops and looks like as he's walking, he's slightly up the hill from me, quartering to me. I just am like, all right, in front of the 20 yard rock, I'm putting slightly under 20, 15 yard pin, right? You know, right on that center line. Arrow hits him. He jumps, turns, now the exit wound side is facing me and I can see that arrow sticking straight out right in front of this rear hindquarter right at the paunch. And I'm like, Ooh. Ooh, I'm like, how'd that happen? But anyway, he busts off, crashes through the trees, runs down the hill. And, and I immediately start cow calling like crazy at him. Cause I mean, I wasn't expecting to get a follow-up shot right there, but yeah. um, a lot of times they don't know what happened. And just the tracking, you, like you want to make that tracking job as easy as possible. So even if he is mortally wounded, you might not know what happened. So he's going to stop and that's going to make you not have to blood trail for way longer than you might have to and have him like bolting off. And it calms him down possibly because he'd be like, okay, something weird just happened, but there's another cow right there. And then, oh, I'm not feeling the grace. I'm going to bed down. And that, that'll happen way quicker than if you don't cow call at him and they just keep running. So I did that, but I knew that it was like a a marginal shot, probably just the way, at least where the exit wound was. 
and I'm kind of replaying it in my head and I'm like, well, he was quartering to me pretty hard. So like that doesn't at all mean that you have like, you can definitely hit at least one lung and have it come out way back like that, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, which is a kill shot. So I'm like, okay, but I know it's probably not like a, a, you know, a dead 200 yards or whatever. Yeah. hundred yards. Yeah. And I also know that the bull I shot last year, I, I double lung that thing perfectly midline at four yards. And that bull was alive 10 minutes still after I, after yep. I passed through shot yep. him. So I'm like, all right, yep. time to sit down, eat lunch. You know, I'm like, you know, you get all the jitters and stuff, but honestly, I didn't feel quite as nervous after shooting my bull last year. Cause the one I shot last year, I was like pretty sure I killed it. And it was my first bull. And I was all like amped up this one after seeing the arrow coming out that far behind it, I kind of sat down like, okay, like arrow passed through it. Probably got along, but I kind of had that feeling like I'm going to have to sit here a while and make myself not go after that thing. Cause that didn't look like the best shot in the world, you know? So I sat down, ate lunch, tried to like, just like lay down and look at the sky, like take a nap, even though there's no way you're going to take a nap, you know, after you do that, like I'm still hyped up on adrenaline, but like my, uh, I guess my attitude wasn't quite, uh, I wasn't like, Oh yeah. Smoked them. You know, I was kind of more, I was kind of more like, okay, this is a track job situation. Like I could definitely still find this bull, but like cannot push this work is not done. Yeah. So about 45 minutes go by, I get up and I start looking for blood. And I'm not like finding any blood. And that's not really like abnormal. I mean, the one that I double lunged last year had hardly a blood trail and it was dead within 80 yards, you know? Um, so I, I start following like his tracks in the dirt because obviously this elk was sprinting. So his tracks are much different than all the other elk tracks. Like there's scuffs, there's dirt sprayed everywhere. So I start following that, and then 20 yards in, I find my arrow. And it's still in one piece, so it's passed through. But it's got kind of watery, darker red blood with little pieces of stuff all on the arrow, like gut matter. And I was like, okay, that's kind of matching up with where I saw it come out. And it definitely could look that way on the exit and still be a lung shot. Cause you know, the last thing it went through was the guts, but I'm like, all right, that's not great. You know? And I started following it more and I'm not finding really any blood, blood, little pinpricks here and there. And then I'm starting to like go over the situation in my head and I'm like, all right, it's 11 AM. We got weather coming in and if, like, you know, in the evening, um, this, this bull is not bleeding very much at all. I'm like, definitely through the guts, hopefully a lung. And I'm thinking, I I think that I'm going to go the route where I'm going to try to get a follow-up shot on this bull. Because I think that if I don't do that, I need to wait at least a few hours. And I don't know if I have that time. And also there's really no blood to follow. So I don't want the thing to get up again in the meantime and move further off, you know? I'm like, so, all right, I think I'm going to need to probably put another arrow in this thing if I can. So once again, there's no blood to really follow and I'm following just like scuff marks and I get to the point where you, you know, get on rock or you get on like deadfall and stuff and you're just kind of, you're kind of looking like, all right, I don't even, can't even follow any 
dirt, you know, any markings in the dirt. I'm just going to have to look and see which way do I think this elk would have gone through this thick stuff, you know? Okay. There's a huge deadfall right here with a bunch of branches sticking up. Like he's not going to go through that. You know, there's a whole bunch of thick brush on a steep hillside here. Probably not going to go through that. There's like two lanes that it looks like you probably could run through. About an hour goes by and I, I'm about 50 yards from where I shot. I'm trying to find these tracks and I'm starting to get that sinking feeling like, dude, this is not, this is not looking good. And, um, so I, uh, I start following this one trail kind of dead ends into a big old mess of deadfall. I'm like, I don't think he would have gone through here. And if he would have, he probably would have bedded down right here. Cause it's thick cover and I haven't heard or seen anything. So I back off and follow the other trail down that I was looking at. And there's, there's his tracks again. And all of a sudden, boom, there's a little blood, boom, there's a little blood. And he's kind of coming around this bowl back into this thicker spot around it. And I'm following and he starts to open up a little bit, like not, you know, not a ton of blood by any means, but enough to follow. And so I get to this edge, there's a tree and I like have an arrow knocked because I'm thinking that it's probably not dead. And I, I, I stop cause there's, there's a point where it looked like the bull stopped and there's, there's a smattering of blood there. Probably the most blood I'd seen yet. And I, I look around and all of a sudden through the tree past this spruce tree, he's, he's right there bedded with his head up. And I'm like, Oh crap. There he is like right there. And he had, I had an arrow knocked already, but I think he had heard me walking slowly, but then I stopped there and Mind you, the whole time I'm also thinking about the wind in this situation, because if he's still alive, you don't want him to wind you. So <laughs> I'm upwind from him. I'm looking at him. He's 15 yards, but he definitely heard something because now he's got his head up and he's looking around and this thing is very alive, right? Yeah. And so I have the arrow knocked and his back is right behind the trunk of the tree, probably right at his shoulder blades about. And I can't really totally you know, a bedded animal, he's slightly leaning back. Like his spine is probably at like a 20 degree towards me, but he's bedded facing away from me. So it is opened up towards me. Like his, his, you know, shoulder blade and ribs are opened up facing me. I just can't exactly tell where I'm shooting. And there's a spruce branch right in front of him. So there's no clear shot, but there's a branch that's not like a thick branch. It's just like a pine bow, the very end of it with like spindly branches. Yeah. And it's only one foot right in front of where his vital should be. I'm like, I already put an arrow through this animal. He's definitely wounded. I'm at 15 yards. Even if this arrow deflects somewhat, it's going into that bull some at some point in the vital area, right? So I drew yeah. back because, and this is all within about 10 seconds after I see him because I see that he's very alive. And if he gets up right now, it's over. I'm never going to find this bull, right? Blood trail is going to be gone. He's going to be off to wherever. So I drew back 15 yards, just put it right in this tiny two, two inch area that looked like it was somewhat of an opening. And I just squeezed that arrow off and that thing zipped right through him. He jumps up, takes 10 steps maybe and starts wobbling all over the place and just falls right over. And you know, you know, the rest of it, it's never, never fun watching it happen, but over the next yeah. couple minutes takes him to, to die right there. And I'm standing there watching the whole thing and, uh, it's one of those, yeah, it's one of those times where you just don't know what to do. You're just like standing there breathing and you're like, all right, 
it's over. That just happened, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm like super relieved because up to this point, before I found that, before I found that blood trail start again, I was pretty convinced that I was never going to find that thing. And so I'm like, okay, like, great. Got it done, you know? And it was like a different type of uh, excitement. You know, when you shoot an animal and it runs off and goes down in sight or like you just smoke and it's yeah, done, you're like all high fives. You're like, yeah. But then when you get to that kind of a situation where you make a follow-up shot and then it's over, it's kind of more like a wipe the sweat off your brow. Like, oh man, you know, like that could have been gone way differently. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's not- never, never a pretty thing, you know, when you have to take an animal's life. But, you know, luckily it did. You see other circumstances with other predators, it takes longer or it could die of other things. So it's, you know, it's not as bad as it could be. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's different too, because when you shoot them and you make a good shot and they run off and die, normally it's pretty quick and they die a little away from you. Like I had the same thing happen where I had to shoot a deer again last year. And when, when you actually make that, you know, right through the pump house shot close and they already know that they're wounded and then watching them expire right in front of you like that. It's just like, you know, it's not the best thing in the world, but anyways, I was very relieved and pretty happy. Um, and so I went down and it, the way the, where it fell was not in a good spot. It's a steep hillside. And there's like a couple of dead stumps and like a couple of like two, three year old pine trees. And it curled up in there with like his, his front quarters and his hind quarters, like, in a ball, you know, and you're not moving an elk on your own. Yeah. The, the, you got to cut it up how it's lying there. It took me four hours to cut that thing up on my own. Cause it was like, you had to take off this leg, then try to move it a little to like stretch him out to get the back strap off, then take off this leg. And then it was a real hassle trying to flip him over to get the other side. Yeah. Cause he was all balled up in this little depression. And I, I, after I, you know, skinned them out and everything and got the quarters and all the meat off, I like took a good look at where those two shots went in because I, you know, I was like, how, how do I miss, how how do I mess up that close of a shot? What ended up happening was this bull, when he came in, I did the classic mistake of thinking that rock is at 20 yards. So he's about 20 in front of it. He was at about 12 yards and he was a little uphill for me. So Mm -hmm. I'm shooting like it's 18 yards. It's actually 12 yards and he's uphill. So now that angle isn't going through. It's going up into the elk. So I'm already shooting high. Then I'm shooting at an upward angle. That first shot did hit lung. It hit the very top of his first lung, hit the upper inside of his rib cage and spine, and then follow that spine on the ricochet out through the guts. And that's why I was covered in gut matter. And and then my second shot was exactly left to right, the same exact thing where I shot the first time. So my left to right was perfect on him. I just shot high at an upward angle. Second mm-hmm. shot is a slightly downward angle. I knew it was at 15 yards. Shoot it directly about six inches below the first shot and at a more flat downward angle. And that went right through both lungs, like center, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the, that's, you're playing a game of inches and a game of angles when you're archer hunting. And, and it's not as easy as just pulling the bull back and shooting something at 15 yards. I mean, you really, especially on something as large as an elk, you really have to think about what's going on and it's really hard to do. I mean, you you got the adrenaline pumping, you're physically exhausted. Things are moving fast. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
It, yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah, but so anyways. So anyways, I'll wrap up the pack out real quick, but um I got I got all the the meat to the trail about a half a mile away up the hillside because I didn't want to keep it near the carcass because of bears. Actually yeah. the last the last trip that I packed out, there was something below the hillside about 100 yards from me that was making a whole bunch of noise and I was screaming at it, throwing stuff and it was not leaving. I think there was a bear coming in on the carcass. Yeah. So it's a good thing I got that stuff out of there. Then I'm about from the trail. I'm about three miles and down 1,500 feet back to the truck on trail though. Um, so I'm like, you know what? When I was shuttling that, I kind of gauged in my head like how heavy it was per per trip because I used three trips to shuttle. And I'm like, I think this is going to suck, but I think I can get out a hind quarter and both front quarters in one trip. And that's what I did. D-bone. D-bone, right? Nope. Bone in. Oh, shit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <wow. laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think my pack might have been like 120 pounds. And yeah. it, it was to the point of probably being stupid. Um, but I had trekking poles and it was all downhill on trail, even though the trail was like pretty hard footing in spots. Yeah. First mile wasn't that bad. The last two miles, I would think I was stopping every four or 600 yards and could barely even get up again. I was getting on one knee and pushing as hard as I could with my trekking poles and getting up. My back yeah. hurt for quite a while after that, but um, I got that out. I drove out to service. I called my girlfriend, who's amazing, and she drove down the next morning. We got a big breakfast, went back up there, and uh, I could have gotten the second load out of my own too and was still would have been lighter than the first load. <laughs> but the second load was the hind quarter, the head, and the back strap and neck meat and scrap meat and stuff. So Maddie took about probably 30-ish pounds of the back straps and the scrap meat and everything, and I took the last hind quarter and the head, which was a lot lighter than what I did the night before. And um, we hiked it out, and uh, that was that. It was fantastic. Got to kill it on my own solo. Really far back there. Hardest pack out of my life. Um, Best tracking job of my life. Best follow-up shot, which obviously you hope you don't get in that situation, but I was really proud of that. Like, yeah, botched the first shot. It was still a fatal shot, but it was the worst kind of fatal shot because you probably wouldn't have found it. And it still yeah. probably would have died. Um, so that wasn't the best, but this this is where I would say my biggest takeaway from it is the after the shot intel. I one one reason that I don't really like it when people like extend their range and take really long shots, either with a rifle or with a bow, mm-hmm. is it's so important to hear, see what happens immediately after you kill or shoot that animal. Cause even if you kill it, you might have a hard time finding it. You didn't know which direction it went. You need to know how far it ran and then it stopped. Or if it kept bolting, you need to know, you know what, what, what the situation is. And if you shoot something at 800 yards with a rifle, shoot, sometimes you don't even know if you hit the thing. Yeah. If you shoot, if you shoot far with the bow, you know, same deal. It's like, you don't know exactly you, maybe you don't see how the arrow went in or came out. Maybe you don't see exactly like where this thing went when it ran from you. It's harder to hear how far it ran and then stopped, or if it kept running or what it sounded like if it was stopping, walking, stopping, walking like a gut shot, you know? So sitting down, taking my time to really think about the situation, hitting that cow call right after I shot it, 
And then just being really hyper aware that this thing probably was still alive and I need to make another shot on it. You know, that's the only reason I went home with that elk. Otherwise, I think that I probably would have bumped it. It would have got up and really ran that time. And I never would have been able to get back on that track. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to learn um, just by tracking. Like it's it's not a guarantee. You know, you got to number one step. You got to just like you're saying, you got to watch where it goes, watch what the behavior is, and then also give it time right away. Like that's a great thing that maybe, you know, I made the same mistake in episode in part one that maybe I went in there too fast and stuff and gave that deer or animal a little more adrenaline, but it's not always a guarantee. And then two, like stay focused on the track. He could be right there. And you know, it's to get a follow-up opportunity. That's just a testament to good job tracking and, you know, being aware of what's in front of you, not only what's at your feet tracking the track or blood, but what's, what's in front of you. That's very important. Yeah. Be looking down and looking up Mm -hmm, for sure. So yeah, we got that in the freezer, hoping to add some deer to it because apparently, like I said, in the rapid fire, I like whitetail better than elk. I don't know if that's actually true. That's just what came to my mind if I had to eat one for the rest of my life. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah, going back on that one. No, you can't. It's already answered. But Dang. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think my takeaway for you, you know, all, all the little things you've done or all the little things um, add up at the end of the tunnel, you know, how many things that had to, um, add up for you to even shoot that animal. I mean, you had bulls and stuff there, but the small things that just had you shoot that animal. Yeah. And then even the small things that being aware of all these different situations, approaching it to get a follow-up shot. That's, that's, those are things that lead to success. I think too, with elk, you just got to be close all the time. And it really, you know, I bust out a lot of elk on occasion by being too aggressive, which you don't necessarily want to do. But, um, if you stay close to them and you stay close to them for a long time, at some point a satellite might come in, the herd just might decide to come your way. That bull might get pissed off enough that he comes and checks you out. You know, it's just keeping on them. You can't let them get away from you as a thing. Like you want to be in that sphere as long as you can without, without being found out, you know? Um, and I think Persistent. that was a big part of it too. Yeah. And that I did bust a couple of times, you know, you're pretty good at getting close shots, you know, 15, four, like, yeah. you know, that, that, that's, uh, those are pretty good shots. Another pretty, similarity. Uh, pretty good. Jo- yes. Yeah. Another similarity between those two elk hunts. Um, last year I killed my first bull in a spot that I had hunted hard two years previous and not the year before. Mm-hmm. Same thing here. Killed this bull in a spot that I didn't hunt last year, but I hunted two years really hard uh, two years ago. And I just knew the area was familiar with it and how the elk act. And there you go. Historic data is good. But just how, like you, how did it feel with your deer? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. How did it feel um, doing that by yourself? That's one thing I, I wanted to ask. Like being back there by yourself, shuttling all that whole entire bull elk to a trailhead and most of it out really, um, all by yourself. What did that, and also gutting that animal being alone by the kill site. I feel like that's, that's something that not a lot of people get to, uh, enjoy or tell about. Uh, makes you feel really alive. 
I mean, your adrenaline's like running. Uh, yeah, I mean, just- uh, a lot of things. Uh, your adrenaline's running because you're kind of like predator instinct. Like, I just killed this and it's mine. Like, you're like high on life. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it took me four hours to cut out the animal and it did not seem like that to me. Like, it, it went by really fast, even though it was like yeah. hard and it was physically exhausting. It just is like, holy crap, it's already four hours later and I just got done with that. Um, feels like where I was supposed to be on the planet at that point. I mean, and then being alone, like you're saying really far back like that, it's almost like feel pretty human. It's like people have been doing this from the dawn of time Yeah. without all these cities and interstates and cell phones and everything. And I'm back here with nothing but like a trail through the woods, no service. Nobody else is back here. I'm trying to kind of fend off my kill from a bear. That's probably down there like hiking this out of my back this is going to sustain me. It's like, you know, it, it's so unplugged from like what we do day to day. And it's so like, just kind of like nothing else in the world exists between besides me and what I have on my back and the other animals that are out here. You know, it's like, just like I am being me in this place while all these other animals are being themselves in this place. And this is just how the world works, you know? Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I want I do I like that, that being by yourself is a big part of it for me, but that's the we were talking about this with the last episode with our elk hunts. The sweet spot is doing it by yourself in my opinion and then having people show up at the end uh, to like to like share and getting it out and sharing like cuz they still see the animal, they still see where you got and everything, but then you have the other part of it is you doing it on your own is is awesome. Yeah. They feel part of it, not everything. Yeah, it's yeah. Sweet to do it on your own, fit in your in our niche, you know, as as a society or as a Homo sapien, our niche to to be what we once were. It it is a different freeing feeling when you are part of something like that. It's yeah, it's cool. But yeah, that's also, kudos to you doing it by yourself. Thanks. A lot of people also, give up. Um, so we were talking about this step counter. It's funny. I like, I'd never yeah. even seen this thing before. Maddie suggested I look at it to see how much I hike. Cause I hike mm-hmm. a lot. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Other listeners can comment on this if you want. I don't know if this is good or not. Do you wait, Ryan, do you ever look at your step counter? Nope. Don't even know if it exists. I didn't either. Uh, apparently I used to track GPS and then I'm like, okay, yep. 12, 14 miles. Cool. And then now I just, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so this is not including any elevation for the month of September. I think people are supposed to like, nobody ever makes the recommended steps in a day, but I think they say 10,000 steps is what you should yeah, get yeah, in a day. Yep. Yeah, yeah. On average in September, I average 16,059 steps a day. And the day um, before I killed my bull that, that first day was 27,713 steps. <laughs> and then the day I killed it was 25,409 steps is, um, what do they say? Like 2000 and some change per mile, don't they? Well, I can convert it into miles. And I think it was, uh, like I said, I think it was 11 miles the first day and like, okay. uh, nine or something the second day. Yeah. 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 Damn right. Yeah. I, I used to a little more out West now. I mean, I live in the Midwest, so I don't hike that much, but <laughs> so yeah, I just, now if there's an animal there, we'll go get it. Right. 
Oh yeah. Get to that mentality. <laughs> For sure. There's, you just there's have no to deal with all the brush. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Our, our hiking's not, not as hard, but, no. but well, cool. That was our two fall successes. Hopefully everybody enjoyed. I think next week, next time, next episode, we'll um, either talk about proper um, public etiquette, you know, pros and cons, things we've run into that made us uh, time uh, ticking time bombs or things that we've just been grateful for, people we've ran into, friends we've actually met on the trail, out hunting, doing all this. Or maybe we'll run a um, fail episode. All the things we've learned through things we've failed on, you know, um, shooting these and pursuing these animals in the woods, one of the two. So hopefully everybody enjoyed these um, part one and two of fall success. And hopefully everybody's out there, you know, it's a cold front right now. Um, beginning Halloween right now, beginning of November, cold front in the West, cold front in the East. So everybody out there, be safe, have fun and shoot something of their own. Good luck. Good luck. Hopefully everybody enjoyed this week's episode of the storied podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at the storied podcast official. That is storied podcast official.